0: Awesome, thanks so much V and a very uh, good morning to every single one of you. Uh, Amazing to be here at our 10 a.m. gathering and yeah, I said to the eight o'clock guys this morning, uh, I feel like they're probably the real Christians with the way that the weather's going at the moment uh, to get themselves out of bed. Uh, but I love all the gatherings and uh, just amazing to see uh, every single one of you with us here this morning. So a warm welcome. And yeah, I would—I I feel jealous. I wish I could be at city Women. It looks like it's going to be uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, and as Vaughan said, hey, if you're going to book a uh, book for yourself and bring somebody with, uh, you know, we're in a, a world at the moment of people who are desperate for the hope and the healing and the belonging. Uh, that we find in the person of Jesus. And so the best thing for you to do is take these opportunities uh, to bring people into place uh, where they can be pointed to him. And so I'd really encourage you to be part of that. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And I just feel like um, God was putting on my heart again this morning. You know, he's He's at work with us, and He's at work in us, and He's at work through us uh, as a church. Uh, and it's just an incredible privilege uh, for us all to be a part of it. Uh, and in the same, by the same token of what I am saying, you know, in a, never mind a world and a country and a city, but an area, a suburb uh, that is filled with hundreds of thousands of people who are looking for that, they're looking for healing, they're looking for hope, they're looking for a sense of belonging. And that's what Jesus is. That's what we find in the person of Jesus. And so I'd encourage you, hey, let's not keep this to ourselves. Let's not keep Jesus to ourselves. Uh, Let's offer all that he is, all that he's done in our lives uh, to those around us, uh, as God is doing some pretty special uh, and incredible things around us. Amen. Awesome, that was a little side note. I'm gonna jump into my uh, preach for the day uh, because the clock is already going. Uh, As you know, we are in a series uh, uh, at the moment called Hearts Apart, Leadership and Influence Done Right. And so we're really diving into the conversation uh, over the next, this week and two more after this, the conversation around leadership. Now, if I was to ask you this morning by show of hands, how many of you would say, that leaders are born. It's nature, it's predisposition, leaders are born. Let's see by show of hands. One, two, three, okay, four, few of us. How many of you would then say that leaders are made, they develop, they grow in, yes, okay. Uh, Many hands are up in the air for that. And uh, I suppose the answer to that is it's a bit of both. Uh, Leaders are probably uh, a bit of born and a bit of grown. I don't know about you, uh, but I've never met a leader who wasn't born. So, I reckon leaders are, it's a bit of both, uh, born and made. And the truth of the matter is that I believe and we believe that leadership is absolutely essential to flourish in. Whether that's a flourishing church, a flourishing family, whether that's a flourishing business, or whether that's a flourishing society, strong, godly leadership is absolutely essential. Amen. Last week, uh, if you were here, and I'd really encourage you if you weren't to go and watch it on YouTube, uh, Duncan spoke about the difference between just good leadership, which is good, good leadership is good, and godly leadership. And it's godly leadership, that's the type of leadership uh, that we need. But how many of you know that strong, godly leadership doesn't just happen by accident? It happens by intentional effort, If you take your notes this morning, take this one. Whenever we find dysfunction or inefficiency or ineffectiveness, you can bet your bottom dollar that leadership is the problem. And most often, leadership is the solution. Leadership is the solution. But strong, godly, healthy, helpful leadership only comes about when we are intentional about cultivating it around us. So as we found out last week, if you were here, every single one of us, every single one of you here in the room and online is called to lead. If I asked you right now, could all the leaders in the room please raise their hands? Could I see by a show of hands right now? All leaders raise their hands. One, two, three, four. Okay, seven of you. Wonderful. (laughs) But it's because of the fact that we have this very narrow understanding of what leadership actually is. You see, there's all kinds of misconceptions about who's called to lead and who isn't called to lead. We've created a bit of a false dichotomy, which divides the world into leaders and followers. And for some reason, we've created this misperception that we don't want the two to ever cross. But what we are wanting to point out in this series, what in fact we are desperate to point out in this series, is that every single believer is called to be a leader. Every single person who is a follower of Jesus is called to be a leader for Jesus. Amen. At the very least, we're called to lead other people to Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, at the very least, you're called to lead other people to Jesus so that they may experience the same life and mercy and grace that we have received from Him. And so every single one of you who calls yourself a follower of Jesus, I want you to know this morning you are called to be a leader. And so it opens up the can of worms. It opens up the question of, well, cool, what is leadership? And we, we spoke quite a bit that, about that last week. But even within that, what is the best style of leadership? What is the right style of leadership? What do we mean by this? And so many people have attempted to answer that question Here's a few. Some people would say that leadership is just getting to others to do what you want them to do. So it's command and control leadership. Giving out commands, issuing instructions to receive compliance and obedience from those that we lead. Anyone ever had a leader like that in their lives? Oh, I'm just checking. No one in the front row here is putting up the hand. Vaughn, put your hand down right now. Command and control. Other people would say that leadership is only really measured in terms of followership. Followership, it's about how many followers you have. So here's a fact for you. Cristiano Ronaldo has 289 million followers on Instagram. It's the highest number of followers on the platform. And so does that make him a leader? Is that the new benchmark for leadership in the 21st century? Is that what defines leadership for us today? Others would say that leadership is being different. They would say if you want to make a difference, you've got to be different. So it's swimming upstream, it's cutting across the grain. So those who are leaders are somewhat different. Then there are others who would say leadership is standing up against the status quo, right? Challenge, provocation, transformation, revolution. And so they'd hold people like Martin Luther King or Mahatma Gandhi up as the benchmark for true leadership. And they'd say if you wanna change anything, you've gotta challenge something to bring about a change to the status quo. Then of course there are others who would say leadership is service. That's all it is, just service. It's serving others, it's putting the towel over your arm and getting down and serving one another. And they would quite rightly say that Jesus is the very one who revolutionized leadership when He humbled Himself. He came down to earth as a servant. He uh, died the death of a criminal on a cross and gave His life for you and me and invited every single one of us to do the same thing, to lay our lives down as an act of service. And so leadership is service. And so the question is, out of those few that I've picked, what's the right one? What is truly representative of leadership. Which one is the best? And if you think about it long enough and you think about it hard enough, we'd have to come to the conclusion that it's all of the above. It's all of the above. Because the truth of the matter is that leadership can't be reduced down to a single synonym. Uh, It can't be packaged as a neat little one-liner. Because there are times when leadership requires you to stand up and to take charge and to issue commands, there is. But then there are times when leadership requires you to stand back, to take your hands off, to empower and to equip others. There are times when leadership does require you to put the towel over your arm and to serve. And there are times when leadership requires you to take charge. There are times even when leadership does require you to exert your influence, but did you know that there's times when leadership requires you to withdraw your influence? And so the truth is, leadership is complex and it's intricate and it's multifaceted and it's multidimensional. It's not something that can just be reduced down to a single synonym like control or servanthood. Leadership is leadership. Leadership. It is what it is. And every single one of us today is called to lead. I want you to know that when you are authentically you and the lives of others around you are being impacted and transformed, that is leadership at work. And so every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus is called. To be a leader. Every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus is called to be a source of influence and an agent of change and transformation to the world around us. And so, as we dive in this morning, there's two questions that I want you to think about uh, as we get into it. The first question that I'd like you to think about this morning is Where is God calling me to lead? Where is God calling me to lead? And you'll be surprised at how many answers uh, could come up. God is calling you to lead. He's calling you to lead uh, in your home. Parents, He's calling you to lead at home. He's calling you to lead in your workplace. He's calling us to lead here at City. Amen. Maybe you're here and uh, you're pretty new or you've been around for a while and uh, you led somewhere else before and now you're here and you're sitting there somewhere at the back and you've got your feet up and you think, oh, this is nice, I'm enjoying this. And, uh, but you knew this day would come. You knew the day would come when somebody says, hey, what about you? Where are you leading? Where are you leading in the context of this church? Because God didn't put all that talents and gifting and ability in you for you to sit back. He put it in you so that you will lead. Can I get an amen this morning? I hope God's speaking to somebody about this this morning. I sense that He is. And so that's the first question. Where is it that God is calling you to lead today? The second question, and this is where we're gonna spend the most of our time this morning, is what happens when you know that? You know you're called to lead. That's fine, you've ticked that. But you know that there's a very specific call of God on your life. There's a very specific leadership that you know that God has put in you. And so you feel ready for it, you desire it, but God keeps saying to you, not now, not now. And so basically where you are is you find yourself in the waiting room. I wonder how many of you this morning are able to identify with what that feels like. God's got you in a waiting room. And so in this series, um, we're looking at leadership through the lens of Saul and David uh, from 1st and 2nd Samuel. And that's where the name Hearts Apart come from. Those are the hearts apart, Saul's uh, and David's hearts. You see, both of them were appointed leaders, but both were so different. One was good leadership. The other one, godly leadership. And we find hearts apart between these two characters. So we're going to very quickly look at the rise of Saul's leadership and the rise of David's leadership, just to see the difference. And then we're going to uh, jump into a, a very specific time in David's waiting and lessons that we can draw from him. So first of all, Saul's rise to leadership. If we look at his rise, it was immediate. It was instantaneous. You see, God allowed Saul to become king, but that wasn't actually God's ultimate plan for Israel in Samuel, we find that uh, Israel's in the state of chaos. It's in a state of really needing uh, leadership. And so the people of Israel, they go to Samuel, the prophet who had been leading, and they say, we want a king. And so Samuel goes, he consults with God, and God says, well, the motive's all wrong, their motives are wrong, but if it's a king that they want, then just give them what they want. And so in an instant, Saul enters. He becomes king. And the truth of the matter is Saul's a tragic character. He begins his kingship full of promise. He was the tall, good-looking, perfect candidate uh, for king. But the problem is he had very deep character flaws within him. He was dishonest. He lacked integrity. He was always incapable of acknowledging his own mistakes. And it's these character flaws that we find in him that become Saul's downfall eventually. He wins some battles in the beginning, but these flaws, these character issues within him actually run so deep that they ultimately disqualify him from kingship because he continually, blatantly disobeyed God's commands. And so Samuel comes into the picture and he confronts Saul about this and he warns Saul and he says that God is gonna be raising up a new leader a new king to replace him. At the same time as all of that's happening, we see David's rise to leadership. God is working behind the scenes through all of this to raise up a new leader. I wonder how many of you this morning can identify with what it's like when God is working behind the scenes. I think it's one of the best ways God does work. But God is working behind the scenes the whole time to raise up a new leader because he knew his ultimate plan. And this new leader is an insignificant shepherd boy called David, and David was the least likely candidate, the least likely candidate to be king. But he gets anointed, and the famous story of David fighting Goliath shows us that God's choice of David is not based on anything else except his radical, humble trust in God. And so the contrast between these two stories the hearts apart moment. It was actually prophesied right in the beginning in Samuel chapter two by Samuel's mother. And she had, there's a poem by Samuel's mother right in the beginning, like a prophecy actually, where she recorded uh, that this would all unfold. And so it speaks about the proud will be humbled and the the humble will be exalted. Um, And so the proud, we see it happen, the proud which is Saul and even Goliath were brought low. And then this humble shepherd boy, David, ultimately gets exalted. And what we see, is Saul slowly descends actually into madness and David at the same time slowly rises, slowly rises to power. The thing is that for you and me, there's times in our lives when God does put things in our hearts, when He puts goals and ambitions and aspirations, He puts leadership in our hearts and He gives it to us straight away. There are times that that happens. But there are other times, and it seems to be the majority of the time, that God puts things in our hearts and then makes us wait, makes us wait. And often we, we, we're in these times of waiting and we can ask questions about, did I really hear from God? Was that actually what God said? Perhaps the biggest question we ask in those times is, but God, why are you taking so long? You're taking too long. And I have found that during these times of waiting, what's actually happening is God is preparing us for his promise. It's a time of preparation. During our waiting, he's teaching us things. He's growing our character, he's growing our faith. He's growing our ability to do what he has ultimately called us to do. And what's happening is God is taking us through a process. The question that we need to ask ourselves is will we trust the process? If God is taking you through a process to what He has ultimately called you to, Will you trust the process? And so last week, um, Duncan went into it in 1 Samuel 16, where we see the moment of David getting anointed. And when we read it and we look at it, automatically you would assume he's, anointed for leadership and that he would take the throne immediately that in that instance he'll take the throne if this story was a movie uh, Saul would be kicked off that throne and David would be lifted up on the shoulders of everybody and carried to his throne and uh, Become king. That's what would make sense, but that's not actually what happens Because Samuel anoints David and then basically the story stops there's suddenly a break in the story And you left thinking, well, what happened? What's going on here? But when this part of the story ends, it tells us that all that David did is he went back to doing what he did before. He literally went back to watch sheep. I mean, he's 15 years old at this time. He gets anointed to become the future king and then he goes back and watches sheep. And that's where it doesn't make sense to us. Why would God anoint him and then send him back to what he was doing before? What was the point of anointing him at the age of 15, but then making him wait. He waited for 15 more years. Why not just wait until the moment where God thought, you are ready, and anoint him, and appoint him, right there? But I think God anointed David so long before he became king because God wanted to take David through a process, and the anointing was a reminder of the promise that the process would bring. A reminder of the process that the promise would bring. So David's 15, he'd eventually become king when he's 30. And that's a lot of waiting. That's a long time to be waiting. But it's a long time and a lot that God can do in David's life as he prepared him to become the best king that Israel ever had. And so that's waiting on God. It's not one of our favorite things to talk about, right? It's not like a favorite topic of ours. Because why? We live in this society. We live in this instant gratification society. And so I'm hungry. So I go to the drive-through and almost immediately I'll have food in my hands. And almost immediately I'll consume the food. Almost immediately. Our whole life is almost immediately. Almost immediately, that's the world that we live in. But I want you to know that God is not. We might live in a world that's almost immediately, but God is not almost immediately. I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful that God is not almost immediately because there's too many people in my life, there's too many people in my family and my circles that need God, that God will get to them, that he will break through into their lives. I'm so grateful that he's not almost immediately and done like we are in this world. God is patient. When we want something, when we need something, it doesn't feel like patience. It just feels like God is slow. And what we've got to do is we've got to learn in these periods of waiting how to wait well. We need to learn uh, that this idea of waiting on God, waiting on the moment to arrive, waiting for that area of leadership that He has promised you to arrive, is not an excuse to not live for God. We need to learn in this waiting period how to wait well, not use it as an excuse not to live for God. It's too easy in the waiting to not do stuff to just back off, to sit back and say, well, I'll do it, I'll get to it when God finally opens that for me. Waiting on God is not just waiting around until you get the answer that you want. And so we're gonna jump in right now to a story in 1 Samuel chapter 24 of David in the waiting, and we're gonna pull out three big lessons that we can learn from him in times of waiting. So uh, David's now been appointed king, Saul finds out, and even though at that point, David did quite well, he went and he wanted to help, he offered to help Saul, but Saul's actually afraid of David, because Saul doesn't want to lose his kingdom, so now he's afraid of this new king that God is raising up. And so Saul decides uh, that what he's going to do is he's just going to chase after David and hunt him down and kill him. Because <laughs> that's what you do, right? Uh, you're just going to kill anyone who's in your way. It could be a new reality show. The shepherd boy hunter. I think it will work. <laughs> this is what Saul does. Uh, it shows uh, his heart as well. So now he's, he's feeling fearful of David. So he's, uh, David's on the run and Saul's after him to kill him. So let's start uh, in chapter twenty-four, verse one. It tells us that when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness in in Engedi. And then Saul took three thousand chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Don't you love the Bible? (laughs) Saul needed poop. So there he is. He goes into the cave. I love it. It Just tells us right there. Saul went in to relieve himself. Done. Now David and his men are sitting there in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David uh, said to him, so the men said to David, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. All right, so David's men are there with him, and what they see is this immediate opportunity. They see an opportunity for David to get what he wants. They even try to bring God into it. They say to him, isn't this what God said? But that's not actually what God said. God, God didn't tell David to go kill Saul. He told David that you will be king. And so that's the first big thing. The first big lesson that we learn from David in his waiting is this. The door of obedience over the door of opportunity. If you take your notes this morning, this is the point number one. The door of, of obedience over the door of opportunity. You see, this is the thing, when God gives you a promise and you find yourself in the waiting room, you can't just take what you want and sort of try, press it into what God says. So God makes a promise and he tells you what he wants to do with your life, but then we try to force it into looking like this or looking like that. And that's what's going on here. When I got saved, I was 16 years old, and in that moment, Um, in that moment of salvation, that very moment, I knew straight away that what God wanted to do with my life would ultimately be leading a church. I knew it. He dropped it in me. I I became acutely aware uh, that God says that the local church is the hope for the world. It's the vehicle that he uses for the salvation of this planet. And so I knew that that was my life. So similar, I was 16, similar to David. And pretty much from that moment now has been much of a waiting room experience for me Uh, and I remember a number of years ago I think it must have been about 13 years ago or so uh, Taryn and I ended up going to uh, be interviewed at a church uh, in Camps Bay right okay how many of you have been to Camps Bay you kind of know I'm talking about yeah Uh, so we rock up there in Camps Bay now went through the process went through the interview knew in our hearts this was not it this was not God's plan this is not what he wanted for us uh, but the pastor who was interviewing us said no don't worry about it uh, just come with me jump into my car uh, and the way that he wanted to convince us that this is it is he just took us on a drive around Camps Bay he just wanted to show us how beautiful it is and how amazing it is and you will live and work here <laughs> uh, which was very tempting right amazing but we knew it wasn't. We couldn't just squash what we knew God ultimately wanted for us into, oh, this will be nice. This is an opportunity, but it wasn't the door of obedience. You can't take the promise of what God wants to do in your life and just try to add your own special spice there into it. God told David he's gonna be king. He didn't tell David to kill Saul. And it's interesting that David's men say, do to him as it seems good to you. Or in another translation, do as you wish. Because a lot of times, God does actually say to us, do as you wish. A lot of times, God does give you the freedom to live out his plan in many different ways. But it still always has to ultimately be God's way. It has to be. Because there's a commandment that says, thou shalt not kill, right? Right? So if David sees the situation in the cave and he decides to stick a knife uh, in the back of Saul while he's pooping, that's definitely killing. You still have to do what God calls you to do in the parameters of how he's calling you to live. God will never break his own rules to get his own way. That's not how God works. And so even though the men said, look, God has given us something here. They were saying, here's an opportunity. But it couldn't be from God if it is outside of God's parameters. If it's outside of his law, if it's outside of its rule, it's not of God. And at this point in the story, I don't even know if David actually wants to be king, to be honest. And that's sometimes our story as well. We know what God has put in us. We know what will eventually happen. Sometimes along that journey, we don't even know if we actually want that. And I think in many ways... I don't know if David wanted it at this point. He just knew that it was going to happen. He knew that ultimately he is going to be king. But he's actually struggling with what that will be and how that will look. And even though becoming Israel's greatest leader is in his destiny, his primary concern in the waiting is obedience to God. And our primary concern in the waiting, church, should be obedience to God. I want to honor God. I wanna do what God wants me to do every day. I want to make the daily decision, the daily day-to-day decision that God comes first in my life and the rest will take care of itself. And maybe that's a word for someone this morning. When you make the daily decision that God comes first in my life, the rest does take care of itself. So lesson number one in the waiting, obedience over opportunity. We're gonna continue reading now. We're in verse five of the story. And it says, And afterwards, David's heart struck him. Another translation says, He was heartbroken because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And so he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. He calls him my Lord. And he says it's the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. And so what we see here is David knows God's plans. He knows God's plans. The prophet Samuel, who at this point was the most powerful prophet in all of Israel's history, except probably Moses, he shows up and he anoints David to be king. So David knows this, but he still looks at God's plan that Saul is king. He knows that that's the story. God made Saul king, and until God takes Saul off the throne, Saul is king. It says that David was heart-struck. He was heartbroken over what he had done. And this is the second big lesson that we pick up here from David, is that it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. I wonder this morning how many of you can say that your hearts are broken for the things of God, not just for the things we want. Are our hearts broken for the things of God more than they're broken for the things that we want? Because we can so often have these things in our lives that we desperately want. I want to have that. I need to be that. I want to do that. And God says, you'll get there. But our heart should not be primarily longing for the things we want. Our heart should be primarily longing for the things God wants. You see, the way that we wait, the way that we wait is always a function of conviction. And waiting gets easier when we know God more. Waiting gets easier when we know God more. Because our broken hearts become broken for the things of God, not for the things of me. But in order for us to get there, in order for us to know what it is that breaks God's heart, we need to know God more deeply. A little sidebar that I'm going to throw in here, I could throw it in anywhere in this sermon actually. But there's actually a very high price for not waiting. And this is one of the biggest differences that we see between Paul and David, Saul and David. Saul's kingdom got taken from him because he did not wait. Saul was the one that showed impatience, not waiting, time and time and time again in the story. And that's what ultimately ruins his kingship. is his inability to wait on God. And so there's a very high price. You need to know there's a very high price for not waiting. That's a sad note. Back to where we were, there's this juxtaposition that we see now between David and Saul. One man's heart is fixed on God, and another man's heart is fixed on self. And the biggest difference between the two is that the one whose heart is fixed on God is the one who waits. The one whose heart is fixed on God is the one who waits. David says in verse 6 he's not going to lay a hand against God's anointed because it's God's plan. And I suppose it can be difficult for us, right? It can be difficult for us to differentiate sometimes between what is my plan and what is God's plan. And sometimes it's important for us to take a step back, to zoom out a little bit and ask yourself the question, is this really God's plan? Is this really what God promised? Or is it actually just something that I want that I'm asking God to bless? It's a good question, it's a good exercise to do from time to time. And so we get it, we need to wait. But here's the next section, and I really want you to tune in, I want you to zoom in uh, on this next section. The third big lesson that we learn from David in his waiting is active waiting. Everybody say active active waiting. All right, this is so important. Verse eight. Let's read again. It says, Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave, and he calls after Saul. He says, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen now the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. And then he goes on to quote an old proverb. It says, as the proverb of the ancients said, out of the wicked comes wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. And so here what we see is David decides he's going to turn around and confront Saul. From a safe distance, I would think, (laughs) And he does three things in this moment. He actually honors Saul. He calls him my Lord. So he shows honor to Saul in this moment. Can you imagine, to the one who's hunting you down to kill you, honor. He shows love towards Saul. He calls him father. So he's showing love towards Saul in this moment. And then the third thing is he preaches. He quotes this old proverb. And what's going on here? And I really think this is so important what we need to get is that the reason we don't like to wait is because we think waiting means doing nothing. We're doers. As humans, we're doers, we like to do stuff. Following God often feels like we need to be doing stuff. But sometimes, God says wait. And waiting does not mean doing nothing. Waiting does not mean doing nothing. That would just be an excuse. Nowhere in the Bible, whenever we see anyone who's waiting in the Bible, Nowhere in the Bible do the people who wait do nothing. In the New Testament, Paul says that everything that we do is about waiting because we're waiting on Jesus to return. And so our whole lives are actually about waiting. We're waiting for Jesus uh, to return. But in the meantime... While we wait in, here is your ministry. In the meantime, while we wait in, here is God. In the meantime, while we wait in, follow what God is calling you to do. And in this little paragraph, it's awesome because we see David doing godly things. We see David honoring. We see David loving. We see David preaching. And in the 15 years of David's waiting, what was he doing? He was practicing his faith. He was following God. He was helping people time and time and time again. We never once see David sitting still and doing nothing as an excuse. And it's the exact same for you and me today. If you're in this season, if you're in a period of waiting for what God has promised to do in your life, we've gotta honor God, we've gotta honor others. We've gotta be loving, we've gotta be growing in our faith. Over all the years I've had so many conversations with people who come to me and they say, I wanna be in ministry. God has put it in my heart to be in ministry. and you know, it was the story for me. I I knew it would end up being in ministry. And so what did I do when I knew that that was going to be the ultimate plan for God uh, for my life? I started doing it. I started doing ministry. I started putting my hand to absolutely anything that I could do uh, within ministry, within the church, while I waited for what God would ultimately do. I joke about it. I don't think there's one area of church life that I have not done and been involved with or touched, except maybe women, city women. But I've been to many women's events in my time. I can tell you that as well, uh, lead worship at them and whatever, uh, but that's what you do, you know, and that's what that's exactly what I say to people. God's called me into ministry. Well, start doing it. Start doing ministry. Find somewhere to get involved. Find somewhere to put your hand to. But it's not an excuse to just do nothing. I studied um, a course in journalism long ago, and there's a phrase that journalists have, and they call it "Don't bury the lead." In other words, every story has a lead. It's the main thing, it's the headline. And they say, don't bury the lead somewhere down there in the article. And that's what God is saying. Don't bury the lead. If God has called you to lead, even if you're in the waiting, don't bury the lead. Keep that up. Keep that as the main thing. Because in the waiting room, God will do things. First of all, he prepares us. In the waiting room, God is preparing us. He's taking you through things to get you ready. And while you think you're just waiting, God is working. That's what He's doing. I love Romans 12, verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of the mind. And then it says, That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I think that in the waiting, in this time of waiting, we're able to do that. We're able to get a clear picture of what is it that God is calling me to? What is my true calling? I think God wants to ultimately use me in this. Well, start serving in that. And you'll be able to start discerning what it is He's doing. God will make the picture get clearer and clearer and clearer for you in the waiting. When we hit verse 14 in the story, something actually changes. Let's read it together. Verse 14, it says, David's speaking now to Saul. He says, after whom has the king of Israel come out? Who have you come out for? Whom do you pursue? And he says, a a dead dog after a flea. Suddenly there's something happening here. Verse 15, may the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause, and deliver me from your hand. So he's gone from quite lovey-dovey and honoring and loving to suddenly what we hear in here is a change. we suddenly hear in a passion in David's voice because David's suddenly saying it's a big deal. He's saying, yes, Saul, God appointed you, but guess what? He also appointed me. And so I'm not going to all all depressed around, waiting all the time, downcast all the time, because he's waiting on big things. And it's the same for every single one of us. If you're in the waiting room, you're waiting for big things. God has called every single one of us to lead, to ultimately change the world. It's not okay to say, well, when it happens, it happens. We need to be hungry for what God wants to do in us because it makes a difference. I want you to know that when you're hungry in the waiting, it makes a difference to the lives of your children. It makes a difference to your family life. It makes a difference to your workplace. And ultimately, it makes a difference to the world. The thing is, Saul was about Saul, but David was not about David. David was about God, he was about God's kingdom, he was about God's plan and God's purpose. It's important stuff. It's important stuff for you today. We should be passionate, we should be hungry, we should eagerly desire that thing that we know God has called us to. Verse 16, as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Verse 21, swear to me therefore by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. And Saul went home and David and his men went up to the stronghold. So do you see what happens when David waits actively? When he waits with purpose. He's waiting on God's timing, but he's still doing the things of God. And look what happens. What happens when he's doing the thing of God in the waiting His ministry happens and changed lives happen. Lives that aren't even born yet get changed because Saul says, please bless my family and David does that. And we read about it 20 years later. Why? Because David does what he's supposed to do in the waiting. And so I don't know if that's you today, wherever you're watching from, maybe finding yourself in this period of waiting. You know that you are called, you know that God calls all of us to lead. You know that there's a special call that God wants to do something with your life and you're in the period of waiting. I wonder which of these lessons that we pick up from David are ringing true for you. Is it obedience? Is God reminding you this morning, obedience over opportunity? I want to take this moment to just remind you one more time not every door of opportunity is a door for you to walk through there are many doors of opportunity but they're not all for you to walk through the door that you need to walk through is the door of obedience the second thing that maybe God's reminding you of is the heart is he reminding you is he putting your finger and saying is your heart breaking for the things that break my heart or is your heart actually just breaking for things that you want come back let you know me deeper so that you know what breaks my heart Or is it this thing of active waiting? Maybe you've just been sitting around too much. Maybe it's been too many years, you think. You're wondering where God is. What did He say? Do you need to learn this morning? Does God need to help you this morning to know what it is, what it looks like, to actively wait for what He has for your life? I'm gonna ask you to stand up with me right now. And let's really reflect on all of this and what God is saying to you in this moment. We're gonna spend a little time worshiping before we wrap up.